The pyramid is a decision chart. And what that requires is for you to step out of heavy-handed top-down management structures in order to allow this pyramid to thrive and for people to have their own decision-making power and authority. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. So I had a thought earlier, Brianne. Uh-huh. Do you remember a long time ago, you were talking about a colleague slash friend of yours that did a wine on Saturdays podcast where she would have wine. They talk yeah, business. Bond. Yeah, it Bond. was breakfast, yeah. breakfast wine with Bond. It was a Facebook live show. So I'm thinking that we need to do something similar, but instead it needs to be chocolate based. A chocolate-based podcast episode. Yeah. Okay. Is there a reason why you think we should do this? I mean, it would be kind of cruel for us to be sitting here talking about chocolate when the listener is not eating probably good chocolate at the time. And it's not cruel for Bond or however many people we've heard, like thinking about Métis in space and talking about what they're drinking while they're having their podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe that'll be season two, which is Team Jill versus Team Brienne, since there's the whole coffee, tea, hot chocolate, smoothies debate that rages on if you <laughs> don't know what we're talking about you can go back and listen to episode number two rewind where we talk about team jill team brianne and i still have to say i think team brianne is losing because spencer the cat is sleeping in my office right now so clearly i'm losing this battle i'm just gonna sit here not gonna say a word (laughs) well how about we go into the topic for today's episode then that works we've covered so much ground over the past several episodes we've talked about the high value hybrid and we talked about your core offer and your core process and we talked about cohorting last week but (laughs) one of the things that we talked about last week that i really want to dig into more this week is this notion of team because (laughs) last week we talked about the billion dollar team when it comes to developing and delivering your product but I don't know about you. I feel like there's more to a business than just having a product. Yeah. And once you have that scalable product, of course, there's other areas in your business that you need to focus on. You and your team (laughs) and your finances. But more importantly, you and your team. Yeah, And how you are a part of your team. I think that's a really good place to start because when we're talking about team here, a lot of people go into, you know, this scaling journey and they think that there's their team and then there's me. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're a dog walker, which is that you're holding all of the leashes for all of the dogs that are all pulling in different directions. And, you know, there's a squirrel over here and there's a fire hydrant back there and barking over here. And and you're just trying to keep everything held together. And a big reason why this happens is that you see yourself as being the one that holds the reins and your team as the ones that have to just execute and follow your orders. You might still be setting the direction and helping people know, you know, which way to go, but the team is also communicating with each other and they're working together and they're working with you in partnership with you to create this movement forward that you want to create. And we've talked a lot on the podcast so far about this idea of of ownership, but I don't know that we've ever actually defined what ownership is means. We've just talked about how it's different than tasks. Ownership is about who makes the decisions. 
right? If you're the one who is making all of the decisions, you are retaining ownership. But every time you can transfer a decision-making authority or the responsibility for a decision to someone else, that is the practice of giving ownership. Yeah, exactly. And in doing that, it's so different from handing over a task because when you're giving over that ownership, you're no longer the one that's going to have to hover and make sure all the little things get done. That responsibility encompasses all of those and as such, it's inherent in the whole thing. Ultimately, the job of your team to be making decisions is that we need to recognize that there are many different types of decisions that need to be made in any business, whether you are a one-person business and you're making all of the decisions, or maybe you have that billion-dollar team and you've got you know a massive number of people, all of whom are making different types of decisions. And the metaphor that we use for this or the framework that we use for this is what we call the visionary pyramid. And if you're listening to this podcast on your favorite podcast app, you've seen the cover art and you've seen the pyramid diagram that is our company's logo, you have an idea of what this means. But essentially, if you imagine a a triangle, a pyramid with four different layers, each of those layers represents a lot of different things. But for our purposes, it represents all the different types of decisions that need to be made. And when you start to look at your business through the lens of these decisions, then you can start to say, hey, I can see where maybe I can start handing over some of these decisions to other people. It's a fascinating exercise to go through with our clients because they often come in saying, you know, oh, I've handed over lots of stuff. They've got ownership. I've delegated. There's our favorite D word. I've delegated tasks to them. They've got this. And then we go through this exercise and we talk about the decisions. And you're probably still wondering, what kind of decisions are we talking about here? We're talking about going all the way back to grade school and the five W's? Yeah, five, five, five W's and an H. Yeah, the what, the where, the when, the why. I always forget. Who? You forgot who? I forgot the who (laughs) and the how. Yeah. Right? And going through this and all of a sudden they start recognizing that, yeah, maybe they handed over the doing of the work, but the making of the decision is still all of them. Yeah. How do you even know what to do? And beyond that, how do you know when you should be doing this, that, or the other thing? And beyond that, how do you even know why you should be doing any of this in the first place? Never mind the question of who makes each of these decisions and what the pyramid represents is who. So let's go through this kind of one layer at a time here and talk about the different levels of decisions and how they relate. Yeah. So we're going to start from the bottom and go up. And At the bottom, that very bottom row, we have essentially, it's split into half, right? You probably going back to that logo, you probably seen the little vertical line in the middle. This is to represent two types of people in the business. We call them helpers and implementers. And these are the people that are answering the how questions. This is the short-term, day-to-day, week-to-week decisions, essentially the level of execution. And it's one of those things where people say, well, why do you split it in two? there's actually a really big difference between helpers and implementers. Helpers are the individuals that you need to give much more explicit direction to. They need assistance in making the decisions. Sometimes they can't make those decisions. And your implementers are the ones that can go forward and make the how decisions. They're the ones that can create and actively do. 
So what are some common examples that you've seen, Jill, of people who they think they want to get implementers to do the how figuring out, but they end up with helpers? Yeah. And so quite often this ends up happening when people are hiring like a marketing assistant or an executive assistant, when you're looking for someone that has a little bit more critical thinking expertise, able to do some problem solving, and they end up having someone that needs an order taker. I'm actually specifically thinking of one client in particular who was just, we were just talking about this and they had asked this individual, the the potential client, do you have expertise in WordPress, for example? And she says, yeah, I'm familiar with WordPress. And then was given the WordPress login to go and do some work on the website and had to be walked through how to access the website. Another example that I see a lot, you use the executive assistant. You want someone who's going to be a really good VA, executive assistant, OBM, and they're going to come in and they're just going to take care of all your customer service for you, for example. And what happens is that you hire someone and then you give them scripts and you give them templates and you give them checklists and you say, here's how to do your job. What you've just done there is you've taken someone that you thought you wanted to bring on as an implementer, and you've actually told them how to do their job. And so you've given them checklists, you've given them scripts, you've given them templates, you've turned them into a helper where they don't even have to figure out the how, they just are essentially an extra pair of hands. There's a mismatch of expectations. Yeah. And mismatched expectations are one of the easiest ways to end up with team dissatisfaction, both or, from your perspective and from theirs. Now, that's not to say that there aren't good reasons to have helpers. There are places for helpers in your business. And usually what we see, though, is that people should be hiring implementers first and helpers later. So hire an implementer who's going to create the scripts, who's going to create the marketing funnels. Creating all of that stuff is the job of an implementer. And then if you want later on, you can hire a helper to execute on what the implementers have defined. Implementers are going to do some, what I would call helper level tasks. Mm -hmm. That's just the nature of the job. But Exactly as Brianne was just saying, having an implementer coming in and creating those systems. Remember, you don't have to create everything. In fact, in a lot of cases, you are the worst person to be creating processes and systems. Yeah, Having someone coming in fresh with new eyes, not having a curse of expertise, which I think we've talked about in the past, which is that idea of you don't recognize all of the things that you just inherently know because you're an expert in it. Having someone fresh come in and do all of that means that you can actually create, they could create those SOPs with much greater clarity. And frankly, the the easiest way to know if you've got the right implementer in the right seat is that they blow you away every day with what they're coming up with. And you're like, wow, that's so much better than I could have ever figured out for myself and ever done for myself. But we also end up seeing a lot of people trying to term people like a project manager or a social media manager or coordinator as managers when really they are implementers as well. So the way that I usually describe a manager, and don't get freaked out by the word manager. Some people don't like the idea of management in their business. You can substitute coordinator or a mentor or advocate is one that I've seen in some different businesses, right? The idea is that this is the department head, for lack of a better term. It's the person who's in charge of making decisions for the sales and marketing department in the business or the 
product operations department in the business or the finance and admin department for the business. And so when we're talking about this level of decision making, we're talking about the what decisions. So what are our goals? What are our metrics? What does success look like? What is our project for this quarter? What is our quarterly plan? Those are all the levels of planning, of managing, of figuring out what. Yeah, exactly. So like some of these you can conceptualize as the big responsibility pieces, the hiring, the performance management, the firing, like the traditional corporate realm has totally mismanaged the word management. But like even those things are aspects of what being a mentor and being a coach and being a coordinator are all about. And that's where this idea that project managers are managers is actually false right? Project managers aren't responsible for determining what success looks like. They're not responsible for determining what the quarterly projects should be. They're not the ones hiring. They're not the ones firing. They're not the ones managing the people, right? So when we're talking about the what decision and the what level of the pyramid, we're talking about someone who has responsibility for leading other people, managing other people, rather than managing projects or tasks or outcomes, which is what the implementer level is all about. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes we've termed it as actually a a people leader. Yeah. So you're a people leader and your job is, as you said, Jill, to mentor, to coach, to develop. When I think about the job of a manager and when I was managing in higher education, this was a lesson that I was taught by my mentor, which is that the job of a manager is to remove obstacles so that their team can do their best work. Yeah, I was taught the same thing. And it was actually a really enlightening experience to approach it from that perspective because it totally changed. how I looked at management in general. And so you put this in the context of the what decisions, and let's take the example of a uh, department head for the sales and marketing department or the manager of sales and marketing, if you will. And, And so what that person might do is they would sit down and they would look at the goals for the quarter. That's a what question. What's the goal for the quarter? And they would say, okay, our revenue goal is $500,000 this quarter. And to get that, we know that we're going to need to make 25 sales. And in order to have those 25 sales, we're going to need to have this many sales calls and this many leads. That is the level of the what. So they break it down and they say, okay, so we need some projects to figure out how we're going to get those leads. So we need to do a new Facebook ads campaign, or we need to uh, relaunch our email list, or we need to go and get on Instagram, what we have just done in our business. Or we need to collaborate with the product ops group to create a summit. Exactly. So it's this what needs to happen for us to achieve the goal. Now, there's one exception to this strict line between manager and implementer. And it's one that our clients find themselves in quite often, Jill, which is the idea of the player coach role. You might be looking at your own business and thinking to yourself, like, yeah, I've got a team of three or four but I don't really have enough to have a full-time manager. Why would I do that? And and then that means that I have to do all of the, and and it goes on. And that's where, for some people, they're naturally in this just because they're the one making all the decisions. But as you start to offload and transfer ownership of some of the other how decisions properly to your team, you may be left with some how decisions of your own Mm -hmm. to flesh out your day-to-day role. 
Yeah. So usually the way we would think of this is that it's like you're wearing two different hats and it's important as you're going to scale your business that you're aware, am I wearing my manager hat right now? Or am I wearing an implementer hat? Or am I wearing one of the other two hats that we haven't even talked about yet? And we'll get there. And I I just want to clarify something here. You cannot wear two hats at once. Yes. You cannot. Because if you're trying to come at anything, whether it's a task that you're working at or a decision that needs to be made, and you're trying to wear both hats at the same time, you can't maintain the proper perspective that you need to in order to make the best decision for the company. Exactly. So let's go to the third level of decision. Jill, tell us about the leader level decisions and what question that pertains to. Yeah, so these ones are the second from the top. And most people generally tend to not get this one at first brush. So hang in with me for a second here, okay? One thing that comes up when we talk about leaders is that why aren't we all leaders? And as a visionary, I'm a leader. My, my management are leaders. What is the point of having a leader level? I already have people leaders. I already have task doers and our implementers. At a certain point, you're going to need someone, though, to manage your managers. Yeah, you're going to need someone to lead your leaders. That point is often closer than people think, but also further than people think, right? The idea of a leader, the quintessential example here is the integrator, right? The integrator as it's defined in the book Traction, is a leader-level decision, but most people are hiring a leader-level integrator to do how-level stuff or at most manager-level stuff. So I think we need to be really clear here, Jill, about what the leader-level decisions actually are. If they're not how decisions and they're not what decisions, explain this to me. (laughs) What's left? It, It might sound actually a little odd, But the decisions that a leader makes are the when decisions. Yeah. This is about prioritization. When should we push sales? When should we rebrand? When should we have a preparation quarter coming up before, you know, our next big quarter? Because we know that everyone's going to dump all of their budget in Q4. (laughs) It's the level of strategy. Yeah. So when we're talking about these when decisions, we're talking about the kinds of things that you know, come up in annual planning or come up in quarterly planning. It's the level of, I have so many different things I could be doing. I have so many different projects. My team's coming up with projects. I'm coming up with projects. And the question that we often don't stop to ask is when is the right time to focus on these things from a strategic perspective? So one of the really critical things for a leader to be doing is actually to be keeping an eye on their visionary because the visionary is the one that's going to be going around and going, oh, this is so pretty. This is so cool. I want to do this. I want to try this. I have this really awesome, neat idea. Let's go dive in. <laughs> and the leader is the person that is going to take and lasso them and hold them back and say, yep, that's a really awesome idea. We're going to talk about that next quarter. Jill, you don't have any experience with this, do you? None whatsoever. <laughs> Not that I've ever run off with a whole bunch of ideas and had to be reined in and been asked the question, is this really the priority right now? Never done that. To be fair, I'm a lot better than I used to be when it comes to making sure that I'm paying attention to the when decisions. But a lot of people don't even consider that something that they need to consider. When we're starting our business, when we're just getting that initial traction, maybe we've got 
100,000, 200,000, whatever it happens to be in revenue that we're bringing in. We figured some stuff out, but the way we figured stuff out is by constantly experimenting. We, I think we used the analogy previously, like we keep cooking up new pots of spaghetti, throwing them against the wall and seeing what sticks. We're not used to having things that work and therefore we're not used to prioritizing opportunity costs against each other to be able to say, sure, we could do that, but if we do that, here's what it's gonna cost us because here's all the other things that we won't be able to do. So resourcing, prioritizing, managing budget, all of those kind of things, that is the level of the when decisions that the leader is making. Exactly. And that level also too is looking at the collaboration and the coordination of the entire business itself because of that whole communication flow that they have with the management and the, the people leaders underneath them. There's one really critical thing here, Brianne, that I, I want to ask you and address with you as the visionary, as the person that was the sole person at the front at the start of this whole process, right? How can you be a leader for yourself? You know, sometimes you might have to be a manager and an implementer at the same time. The truth is that you don't need to hire someone to manage your managers until you're like at $5 million or $10 million or more, which means that you're going to have to learn the difference between the leader hat and the visionary hat. And that's where self-leadership comes into play because it starts with self-knowledge and self-awareness, but it also comes from being able to put in place structures around yourself where you're saying, once a quarter, I need to do an evaluation and say, what are we gonna work on this quarter? Not that I'm biased here, but that's where I think that the value of the coaching that we often provide to our long-term clients comes into play because we can help them hone that skill of discernment and self-leadership. Yeah, exactly. All right, so enough talk about all of those lower levels. What about <laughs> the top of the pyramid, the absolute tip? Before we go there though, I actually wanna just call out that Jill's, you can't see her, and so you don't know that she's mocking this idea that it's a power dynamic. Because we've talked about these levels of the pyramid as though they it's some kind of hierarchy, right? It's about who controls who and who manages who and all those kind of things. That's not the point of the pyramid, right? The pyramid is not an org chart. The pyramid is not a who gets to boss who around chart. The pyramid is a decision chart. So it's about distributing the decisions among the people who are best able to make them. And what that requires is for you to step out of heavy-handed management, to give up the idea that you have to control how things are done. You actually have to break away from traditional heavy-handed top-down management structures in order to allow this pyramid to thrive and for people to have their own decision-making power and authority. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I don't want people to think that we're talking about creating command and control style companies. We're not. If mm. anything, these kinds of companies are as much or more about the people who are getting the stuff done as they are about that visionary who's at the top setting the direction by answering the questions, where are we going and why are we going there? 
exactly. And to be fair, I wasn't completely mocking it. Like it is a big shiny piece for a lot of people because that's where all the creative juices come in. This is so many people, right? They're creating a business and the why behind the reason they created the business in the first place is exactly why they're there. And so it becomes a big driver. And so for me, the question always comes back to, and I've had people ask me this as we've gone through the pyramid, what do visionaries do all day? <laughs> What's left? If you're not doing the how, you're not figuring out the what, and you're not even doing the strategy, what's left? You can't just sit around and twiddle your thumbs and big dreams and that kind of stuff all day, right? No, you can't. The idea of the visionary role is that when you are the visionary, the only decisions that you have to make are the where decisions and the why decisions. Where are we going? And why are we going there? That means establishing values. That means working on culture. That means being the leader, being inspirational, being able to bring people together and get them excited about the work that you're doing. But that's the only decision that you have to make. That doesn't mean that you don't have the opportunity when you want to be able to play around with new ideas to be able to try out new things. The key is that when you're doing those other kinds of things, you have to do it in such a way that doesn't disrupt the function and take the decision-making power away from everyone else. I want to reiterate something that Brianne just said here. And it was the phrase, have to. You don't have to do those things. But you can choose to. You can want to. If you, I've had so many people clients and audience members alike have said to me, but I love working with clients. It's like my thing. It's as one of them would say, it's my jam. Great. You can keep doing that and still be the visionary. But the point is for you to not have to do that day in and day out. The phrase that we often use for this is surprise and delight. Whatever your zone of genius is as the visionary CEO, right? You get to do that. You get to spend the time doing that. And the business is now set up when you're at that space to not rely on you, that you don't have to be making the decisions at the lower levels. There's no right or wrong way to be a visionary, which is why the entire visionary pyramid has to be based not just on these decisions and on these roles, but on your business, on how your business is structured. That's why we started by talking about the product ops team instead of talking about this visionary pyramid, because the way that your business is structured and the way that everything flows together is all based on what it is you're trying to put out in the world. So regardless of what kind of visionary you want to be, I think there's a few things that are really important. The first is to recognize that all of these decisions are currently being made in your business by someone. You might not have put intention behind it. You might not have realized that you've done it. And you might honestly have kept almost all of those decisions to yourself. You might be the genius surrounded by a thousand helpers, right? You might be the only implementer, manager, leader, and visionary surrounding yourself with a bunch of helpers who are just there to do the work. But that doesn't change the fact that all of those decisions, the how, the what, the when, the where, and the why are all being made in your business right now. The question that you need to ask yourself is who should be making those decisions moving forward? Because that's our final of the five W's in an H, right? Is who. If it 
is you right now and that's causing a bottleneck, you need to do the work of divvying up those decisions and deciding and determining the right people and the right roles for those to sit with. And we could talk a long time about that, Jill. In the Academy program, we go into great detail in terms of looking at revenue levels and who you should be hiring at what level and how much to pay them and all that kind of stuff. But I think we can save that for another day. Yeah, I think so. Because otherwise, the two of us will just keep getting on soapboxes and we will be here for a couple of days, probably. (laughs) But in the meantime, this is episode eight. I think we've got two episodes to go in this season. I just don't know how that happened. I I don't know either. It seemed like just yesterday that starting a podcast was one of those shiny ideas that (laughs) someone, I'm not going to name names, chill, someone (laughs) kept telling me, like, not this quarter. And then finally, we decided to go for it. And and here we are, two episodes from the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't believe it either. It's gone by really fast, but I've really enjoyed talking with you all, even if you're not exactly able to talk back to me in the same way that I'm used to from other side of the screen. But but they can talk back to us now on Instagram, because this is a new thing for us, is that we're rolling out Instagram. So you can head on over to Instagram.com slash Visionary CEO Academy, and you can talk with us there about everything you're hearing on the show. In the meantime, though, we will be talking next time about pulling it all together and the key ingredients that you would need to have to put in place all of these pieces so that it's not just you holding this pyramid, holding the delivery, holding it all together, but instead that the business can support it and stay aligned as you continue to scale. That's right. So we're going to be going all the way back to your core offer, your core process, your high value hybrid, your product ops team, your cohorting, your visionary pyramid, and we're going to put it all together with some glue. I'm actually not going to tell you what the secret ingredient is because I want you to join us next time on the Visionary CEO podcast to find out for yourself. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started.